0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking About Life Experiences with Ola. And we're still on the season of special educational needs. Tonight, I have with me E4 from UK. Can you introduce yourself to us, please, E4?
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Afua Oferbia Seigo. I'm a mom of two and I have a special needs child. Um, who has autism, ADHD and an eating disorder. I am also in social services, currently doing my master's in social work. I'm an advocate for moms and dads who are navigating this um, autism journey. Um, I'm a founder of Jazz Send Connect, uh, a co-founder actually with other four women who work together to support other parents just like us. We not only support, we also get support. So it's like a support group where we just hold each other's hands through this journey. And I'm very happy to be here to share my my experience of being a mom, yeah.
0: Absolutely, and I will tell you that I'm very humble that you, you are sharing with us tonight. Thank you so much. I do not take that for granted at all. Um, So tell us about your son. And I know you have a daughter and you have a son. And I remember when we're having our conversations, you said, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your your daughter was a textbook baby. Very different experience and everything. And then we have your son. So tell us about that. And you mentioned particularly the mental shift. Tell us more about that.
1: So, um, just to, give, to put it in context, um, when we had, when we having my my son, I had preeclampsia, so I had to be admitted into hospital for about two weeks before he was born, and he, w- I had to be induced, so he was not ready to come out, <laughs> mm-hmm. so he was practically forced out, um, and that was, I think, to me, that's when the whole trauma started because of forceps and how the whole thing happened. I don't have the science behind delivery, traumatic delivery and autism, but I just have a feeling of maybe that's what happened and the fact that he was born at 35 weeks Mm -hmm. um, that could contribute to it. I don't know. Uh, But um, whilst he was growing up, he had issues with his feeding, it was it was difficult but then he was meeting all his milestones he right. did not crawl he did not crawl at all but he just stood up at 18 ma- 8 months he stood up and within um, 15 months he was walking independently he doing was 18. doing all the things that he had a lot of words during that time and we had to move because we bought our first home and at the time I was pregnant with my daughter. My daughter's pregnancy, as, as I said before, it was textbook. Mm. Uh, I was not sick, I was I was fine. <laughs> Everything was fine. When she was ready to come, she was ready to come.
2: Mm. Within
1: 20 minutes, she had arrived. <laughs> it was it, it was she was ready to feed. Her feeding was not a problem like that for my son. But before she was born, when we moved into our home, my son, just when we moved into my, my son went silent Hmm. for two weeks. It was odd and all he did was cry. We attributed it to him, just the difference in where we live and now we live in a different, a bigger house, much bigger space. So we just felt maybe it was that change that is causing this problem that he's just gone mute. But then when we had a a visit, because when you move into a new area, you have to get the health visitors, your GP and all that registered. Her health visitor came in and said, your son is awfully quiet. I don't know whether it's normal, but I'm worried. And I, I thought, oh, I felt because we moved and he was just going to go back to when he's kind of, Assimilated to the area, and if we start going now, we start Mm. nursery when the baby. I plan when we when the baby is born, he will start nursery so that I have some time with just me and the baby. But she said, "No, I'm actually worried. Honestly, I am, and I think she was looking at it from a from a professional's uh, lenses. Mm. So I didn't see what she was seeing at time. So But with with doing a referral and all those things takes time. So Mm. my daughter was actually born, I think two months after, before we saw us anyone. Right. It took a long while because of I think the NHS system. Mm. So the doctor who saw us immediately said, um, have you thought about autism? Because it looks like your son has autism. At that moment, first of all, I didn't have any knowledge about. Autism. I've heard the word, mm. but I don't didn't have any nothing, and I felt like what what was most important to me and my husband was identifying. Look, what are we looking at, and what are we dealing with? Mm. And kind of thinking, what 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 are we doing? If if you get any kind of diagnosis, you want to kind of think of. What knowledge do I have about this? So I wanted to know and see what the other specialists, that I mean, other people, the professionals who are telling me about autism, were also looking at because I wasn't seeing anything because I didn't have the knowledge. Yeah, what are they seeing? What did they? what, What? What? What did they? How did they come up to their
0: diagnosis?
1: Yes, what are they seeing? So I had to start reading about it and. I went straight to the NHS websites. Basically, it just goes to the horse's own mouth. These are the people in the NHS. We've been employed by the NHS. So what was the NHS saying about <laughs> autism? So for us, we had that those tough conversations that um, if we say he doesn't have it, and maybe he does, at the end of the day, what are we... Is it for us or is it for him that he has or he doesn't have? Mm -hmm. Are we trying to appease ourselves or we are trying to support our child? Because if he was blind, we would put in the support for him. So we had to kind of ask ourselves those tough questions that are we saying that he doesn't have autism because we think? Or is it because we are trying not to be parents of a child with autism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was that kind of moment of clarity that who are we doing this for? Whatever approach that we take, at whose benefit? We had to ask ourselves those questions. These questions took weeks and months Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of talking and talking and talking to get to a point where, you know what, let's just Get this assessment done.
2: Right. Let's
1: say yes. We would we would go ahead with an assessment. Let's say yes to that. And let's see what support can be put in place to support him now. Um, there were other online stuff about childhood autism and it will go away and blah blah blah. But for me, I immediately went into the place where it, it was what was my child's experience? Um, I have my own experience. And it, 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 it was like that light bulb moment where you are in a car. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a driver, there's a front, uh, the, uh, the passenger, and there's another at the back. Everybody has a different experience. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I had to ask myself, what's my son's experience like? What's the life for him? To be the one who cannot express himself. To be the one who cannot tell me he has a headache. How is he, was, was life like him, what's life for him? How is it life for him? What is he seeing? That changed, yes, that changed my perspective. That mm-hmm. changed everything. That that was my, the point where it, my mind, my the, the, that transformation happened. When I ask myself, what is my child's experience? So oh, you were trying because to see I...
0: how he viewed the world.
1: Yes. I can. I can deny it all I like. That doesn't do anything. That doesn't change his experience. Absolutely. My denial does not change his experience. He's mm-hmm. still experiencing difficulties. He's still struggling to talk. He's still struggling to communicate his needs to me. And how how is it like? And recently, one of my colleagues, I think I mentioned it before, was telling me she had uh, an accident when she was in hospital and she couldn't talk.
2: Mm, She couldn't mm.
1: express herself. And she was like, whoa, I can't tell them what I want. They have to guess. Mm -hmm yeah, they have to guess what I want. And it was the most frustrating thing she's ever been through. Because in that moment, because of the accident, her jaws couldn't move and she couldn't say a word because everything, everything she tried to say was so painful. And I was like, it's exactly the way I thought about how is my child experiencing life? And in that moment, having that clarity changed my approach. And I said, you know what? <laughs> and we need to change our approach. We need to support him uh, because he's going through something. What parents need to understand is that autism does not happen to you; it happens to your child. And the experiences that they are going through, you have no idea what they have to put up with in every day.
2: Uh, like, for
1: example. A child with autism who has difficulty in, let's say, lights. It's lights and when they go into maybe an airport or a a, a grocery shop. Mm, Sensory overload. Lights, is sensory overload. It's literally painful for them. When, uh, for example, my son walks on his tippy toes, he runs on his tippy toes, he jumps and lands on his tippy toes, it's it looks painful to watch but he's more comfortable doing that we've tried everything to so that to stop him doing that and it's a discomfort for me to watch but it's comfortable for him and you've just had to So if that, you put uh, it's okay with him
0: then i'm okay with him being comfortable with him doing it that way
1: yes yes i think that one of the difficulties for us as parents is the notion of normality and what is normal and the stigma that comes with abnormality. What is normal? It's a more more societal view on what should be perfect and what should be normal, what should be acceptable. That's the thing we struggle with. Is the fact that I don't want to be stigmatized. I don't want to be the mom who has a special needs child. I don't want to be the person who has that defect in my family. It's just because of the way society treats other people who are not normal, quote-unquote. That's why it makes it hard to accept. Mm. And I was recently speaking to a colleague in uni who was of the notion that oh, I didn't see any autism when I was growing up in Africa, but suddenly it's all over the place, and I said, well, autism has always been there. It's just that with um societal deviance and defects, there've always been a way of them handling it, handling it There's uh-huh. been very indeed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, handling is the best way to put it. Hmm. It's always been a way of them handling it so that the child or the person who has that defect doesn't stay long enough to see it for society to see it. Society has to be controlled in such a way that people who are deviant or people who are others hmm. are not at the same society needs to be perfect. So um I think it's the difficulty with being that person who, is, who has that child, who who is different. That's what we struggle with. Absolutely. But what I always advocate for is that what is your child's experience despite the stigma? How are they feeling like? Hmm. And if you do think of, just sit down for a minute. Any parents hearing this, sit down for a minute. Close your eyes and tell yourself you can't speak. You can't express yourself. Light is too much. Go into the symptoms that your child is displaying. Be that child and see if you can survive without support. In that moment, because you can't. It'll be too much. It'll be too much. Somebody said it's like going to China. And not speaking the language and all the signs around you, you don't understand. And nobody can speak your language. So they are talking at you, not talking to you and trying to get what you you want. You're going to shout and scream because it will be too much. The frustration, yeah. Yeah. It's very important that parents get into the position of, of, Really, really understanding their child's experience, not their experience, because your your experience may be, oh, I feel some shame because I have a child like that. I feel different, or I'm set apart from my own friends because they don't understand what I'm going through, or I'm I'm the mother who has that that child. That is your experience, which is fair enough. But what about your child's experience? what do you think they are going through and if you are able to look at it from your child's uh, point of view from the lenses of your child from the way they are experiencing their world the world around them you will start to look at it differently
2: Mm.
0: yeah thank you and I like what you said about um, you know Somebody saying that, you know, when I was in Africa, I wasn't seeing this and all of a sudden it's here. But you're right. It's always been there. But it's probably how the society has handled it or probably even hidden it. Probably. Yes. Or sometimes I even feel like maybe we didn't even understand it as much back then. Because Mm -hmm. I sit back and I go like, maybe I saw some of this in this, this and this and that. But I didn't even understand it then. And it was handled differently. But I do agree with you that it's always been there. So I would like to speak about your son's unique abilities. But before I get to that, I want to stay on a moment um, with when you spoke about seeing it from your child's experience. So despite the fact that you and your husband were looking at it, that this is about our son, how did you still handle your own personal emotions? Because I can assume that, you know, it was not, it was not easy for you accepting that diagnosis, mm. how did that work for you and your husband despite knowing that you had to see it through your son's lenses?
1: My husband is a much more positive person than me. Oh. Um, he's always looked at things very in a very unique way. Um, and I think that was the support I needed. I think that uh, I said once to him that um, God chose me as my son's mom but he needed you to be his dad for him to have the whole the whole package because although i'm out there advocating and doing all that he's the one who's saying even when even up to now and i said oh my god i mean will i let us be able to do this or will he or oh, we need this to do this and he's like allow god to do what god is doing and oh let's god. just step in that grace and give do what we are doing as the earthly parents and he's always had that 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 kind of outlook on things and for him he's been that child who has always been quiet who has always stayed in his own space right and even as an adult doesn't have friends always stays in his own own space so for him kind of familiar with that life of I'm on my own and I do my own thing oh. so he says he will always say things like oh I, I will say oh Ariela really has so many friends and Alice doesn't have friends and he'll go like who needs friends <laughs> I don't have any friends so I think that he's been that kind of a pillar in the family to say that yes this is what we have let's just make the most of it and prepare their futures in such a way that my daughter is not overwhelmed right? Uh, or in a place where she's caring for my, my son. I've also put my son in a place where he's also okay. But I think what has, apart from the worst help is the family support that we have. My mom and his parents, I think maybe it's because my mom's a nurse and his dad is a doctor. Hmm. It kind of, they look at things differently. They, they always, they will tell you the stories of them working in, in, in the wards in the hospital of seeing things like that. And they they'll just tell you, you need a, a physiotherapist. You need, they'll tell you what to do. So they've been that support system. Okay. And I think that it, it's important to have that so that whilst you're going through all of this and his sister is also a nurse. Are they in so, the UK? No. No, they are all in Ghana. So it kind of helps to
2: mm-hmm.
1: whenever you are feeling like, oh my God, this Alex did this and it's a bit too much. They are there to say just, is he okay? They are always going straight to the physical aspect. Is he sick? Does he have an infection? If you say, no, 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 no. no oh, he'll be fine. It's, yeah, just practical. They go straight to the practical aspect before, before just kind of encouraging you and i think mm-hmm. without that it would have been harder right
0: okay and the reason why I ask, it. yeah
1: thank you and the reason why i asked if they're in the uk
0: is again that was very important for our listeners to hear sometimes because some people and again i know it's not one size fits all uh, acceptance is different even with families it's very different as well because i know mm-hmm. that um i've heard some um families who would say you know we've said this to our family or our parents and they feel like we're seeing things that are not there, so that was yeah. why we wanted to check if are they in the UK. Does that mean if they're in the UK, they have a different perspective to those back home? But again, it's important to highlight that you know you said he's that your 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 father in law is a doctor, your mom is a nurse, and your sister in law is a nurse. Mm-hmm. They're back mm-hmm. home in Ghana, but they're able to see through your lens to see yeah. how, you know what's happening with your son.
1: Yeah, yeah, they've they've been amazing. Because, I mean, with my own sister, um, she's not in a um, health professional background. She's an HR manager, but she's so supportive even when she didn't understand. Mm. Um, It's just having that support. Sometimes support doesn't mean the person understands. Support means that the times when you are down, you know who to kind of help you up. They don't need to understand autism as in its autism you mm-hmm. don't always have to go to get support from people who only understand autism sometimes of course support could be that spiritual leader that person who is going to pray with you because my sister is one who's just now understanding since she started visiting us now kind of gets it, but she's always been the one who will be like, it's going to be all right. Just keep on praying. Just keep on doing this. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on reading about it. Keep reading. And it's not because she's saying it because she understands. She She doesn't. I think it's recently like she's kind of wrapping her head around it. It's just because you have that support system, emotional support system around you. And sometimes too, these support systems are not people who are your family members. Wow. They are not your family members. They uh-huh. are just people you maybe have come across um, and they just understand. Like my friend I was talking to about who is a TA, who was a TA and a, a learning support assistant. She gets it because she's worked with children with autism and um ADHD. She uh-huh. just worked with them, so she gets it. So sometimes the support system, Shouldn't be your, it can be your family members at all times. It can be people who are just there for you for specific things.
2: Yeah,
0: right. So
2: yeah,
0: thank you. And I, and just to touch on the fact that when you said your sister prays with you, she's not necessarily praying that you wouldn't have a diagnosis of autism anymore. She's praying for you to not feel overwhelmed or have the
1: capacity to yeah.
0: go through when you're feeling yeah. Down
1: yeah yeah she's she will like for instance if we we two years ago in 2022 three right so two years ago and um, we had to have the a diagnosis for adhd we have to go through the assessment because they would only do assessment for over seven year olds right. and he was eight at the time so we, we, we the school said he may have adhd as well so we said, okay, fine. We, we are open to anything. It doesn't matter. Having a label doesn't change the challenges. It's still there. It's just a mm. label. And sometimes having a label means you, in this country, in the UK, it means that you get some services, you get more support. Right. Um. So, for example, if you don't have a, a, a learning disability, Diagnosis, you get don't get support from MENCAP. And MenCAP gives a lot of support for adults with learning disabilities.
2: Okay. So if you
1: don't have it, you don't get that support. So you that's why sometimes
0: diagnosis on paper. Well, when I mean on paper, you need to yeah, have a diagnosis. Yeah. Get
1: formal this. diagnosis. It's formal diagnosis.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah, from a doctor. Yeah. So um when I was going through that, I was like, oh my god, another diagnosis because we already had asd autism spectrum disorder we had um uh, eating disorder Mm -hmm. um we've already had that and now the school is talking about adhd Mm -hmm. so i was like i was quite down and my sister was like you know what let's just pray and let's move it on you're going to be fine i mean what was the worst that could happen it's not like anything is going to change. And I was like, oh, ADHD is a bit much. And because ADHD children, they medicate them and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. Let's just pray about it. And that that prayer was so important because after my son was diagnosed with ADHD, the doctor said, I don't want to give him medication. Wow. Okay. Because he doesn't need it. Unless you convince me, I don't think he needs it. I'm like, if you don't, you don't want to give him medication, hallelujah. I don't want medication either. So I, I think just God just listened to that prayer. And because of that ADHD it, um, diagnosis, there's been extra support at school to support his attention. Uh, yeah. uh, uh. Just to support his attention. And it's been so helpful that we have that. So sometimes it's just a matter of rolling with it. And giving your child all the support and forgetting about labels. Honestly, they are there, but they are not always the definition for your child. And you're seeing the bigger picture yeah. of, okay, even
0: if we get the diagnosis or and if people choose to look at it as a label, is actually then getting the support for our son and for us as a family. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So tell us about your son's unique abilities. And you spoke about having to move him to another school. So I want to hear what he thrives at. But before we come to what his potential and what he thrives at, what was that transitioning from his school to another school? And you did say that the school he was at before was not meeting his needs.
1: Yeah. so um he from from year reception, that's the start of primary school. And uh, that's when we we're waiting for the education healthcare plan. Any child who needs to access extra support, extra education support in the UK needs an education healthcare plan, EACP for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um before we could get it, he was before preschool and reception, to get into a special school, you need an EACP. But at the time we were getting the EACP, he was going into primary school. So we couldn't get him into a special school. At the time, too, so I didn't have a lot of education on what his needs are. I, I was still okay. looking, the more I read, the more I saw what he really needed. All right. So the more I, I, the more knowledge I had, the more I saw him so without that knowledge i wouldn't have that lens to see what he really needed hmm. so at the time i didn't have that kind of knowledge that i have today so i was still on that boat of learning about autism and he was diagnosed at uh, around four years old oh. and that was at the same time going into reception so he was put in a mainstream school but mainstream school was not for him it was too obvious. The teachers could not cope with him. He was always on his own. And that was not ideal. Hmm. And so the local authority tried to move him. And they said, oh, you could see it as the special school, the only special school available at the time was a complex needs school. And I was very new to this game. So I didn't know there was different types. So they said a special school. Okay, let's go to that special school. But immediately from learning and reading and research and I realized and by learning and getting more knowledge I was seeing more and more and more of him and I realized no this is not the school for him it was more of a complex not just neurological disabilities it was also physical disabilities Okay. okay complex level um with with other children in very complex wheelchairs. And my son runs, (laughs) he's a very active boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it wasn't the school for him. and So it's kind of now look for a school around our borough where I know that it's specifically for him. And so we found the school. And I remember I always said to people whenever I took my child to the other school, the complex knee school, it was always hard to leave him there, that feeling. Of oh, knowing uh, that there's something... What some... am I doing? Yeah, it's not right for him anyway. It's not right. It's not right for him. Mm. I always felt I should take my son back home. But that feeling would not leave me. It would not leave me. It was just not right. It's not... This is not working. And mm. uh, the school didn't understand him as a person, as an individual and didn't understand what he was capable of and didn't want to harness it because mm-hmm. that's not a type of school. They mm-hmm. don't do that, they just do hand holding for children with very complex needs and didn't really harness potential. Right. So, uh, but then he has so much going on for him. By four and a half, around just after reception, when he started talking, there was so much coming out. We didn't know he could read until he talked, Wow. and we were surprised mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that oh, so you can read. You just needed. We, need
0: we just needed to harness it and bring it out in a yeah. in, in a different
1: way. Yeah, and I was like, "Who taught you how to read?" I know I read to you. Like I read to my son when he was was nonverbal. When he was nonverbal, I read to him, but I didn't teach him how to read. But when he started talking, he was reading. And I was like, you know what? This school is not the right school for my son. And also, we also had to go through the reapplication and talking to the local authority. And that took some time. But eventually, February 2021, he got into that school right. right after the, the second lockdown. He got into that school and it has been amazing. That's the best way to put it. It has been just amazing. The teachers get it because every child in that partic- particular school has autism. Right. And it's such a broad spectrum of autism from those who are really, really non-verbal to those who are super verbal and nearly as functional as your regular old kid. Mm. So it's the whole spectrum of autism spectrum disorder is in that school. So you see children who are functioning very highly like genius levels Mm. and you see children who are also non-verbal but can do a lot for themselves as well. Uh So the school environment doesn't just, it it presents some kind of um, encouragement every time you enter, you see other children and you are wishing your child to be like that. Mm. So it, it means everything everything to us that he's there. He can type faster than I can type. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, and this came about when I was nagging the teacher that he needs to learn how to write. He needs to, I was like, oh, these days who writes? Let him be, Alex is typing. I'm like, eh? <laughs> <He's typing. Where?" laughs> I haven't seen him typing. He said, like, oh, he types our school. All his schoolwork, he types it. I'm like, okay. So one time, he sat on the sticks and I said, Alex, um, I read. I started reading a book and I said, Alex, can you type? He just listened, listened, not looked, listened and was just typing away. And I, I was screaming, my husband says, come downstairs, come and look. Aww. Alex is typing. Alex just can't type. I didn't know he can type. I didn't know he could type. <laughs> and Aww. he was just Listening and typing. And my son will not have a conversation with you. He can tell you everything he needs. But here he is. I'm telling him something and he's just typing it away. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So, apart from that, he can recite the alphabet backwards. You said. I still can't do it. He I can... tried after
0: you told me, I didn't get far.
1: <laughs> he can write a lot of words backwards I think his backwards thing is his thing Um, he, he can write a whole sentence backwards and try to uh, sound the new words he forms
2: right, with I the know.
1: backwards so sometimes he will I realized that he wrote a word and I was like unless I can't pronounce that apparently it was Christmas turned backwards
2: yeah.
1: and he is such a fast learner when you teach him one thing, it, it clicks, and then he will ask you how to spell it. So, whatever you teach him, he will, he's asking you how to spell it, and he will spell it. He Around the time he was in reception when he was leaving the mainstream school to the special complex needs school, he was counting to forever to infinity. He would count and count and doesn't want to stop. I'm like, go to your point. I'm like, now you're showing off. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let him show off. Why not? That's my yeah. thing. Yeah. I know, right? And, and he, said, yeah, he said he can spell any word as well. Yeah, he can spell any word, any word you give, he will just spell it. He will just and then he will not just spell. It, he will spell it correct way, and then he will spell it backwards. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, i nah, mm. sure, 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 sure <laughs> enough. show you now. Yeah, yeah. So he's we're happy. Way is he's making progress. It doesn't. Um, I mean. There's still the behavior issues to manage on a daily basis, so yeah, that's Alex for you. <laughs> you
0: yeah, know, after we had our first conversation, and you said about him writing backwards and spelling backwards, I actually went to read up on it, and actually, it's a unique ability. Not everyone can do it. So
1: I can't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I said to myself, oh, you know, I've heard of it, but now, now is probably the time for me to look it up, and it's actually unique to some people. So. Um, so, yeah, Alex is unique in that way. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about tools and siblings, because um, we did say that, um, and and I didn't actually, this was something I didn't even think of when I started this podcast, but speaking to you brought that view. And I thought, actually, A4 is right. This is a different perspective to explore. You know, the siblings of um, those with a diagnosis, um, the tools they need, and especially when you made a point of these children are likely going to outlive us. So what do we put in place for them? And we are already in our own head without realizing it that maybe we're gonna put some kind of responsibility on the siblings. Let's talk about mm-hmm.
1: that. I think the siblings have responsibility from the very get go, um, from the point they are very little. My daughter realized very quickly there's a problem in this family and she has become so independent Mm. very 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 early age um she became independent and um i think that she realized we were distracted parents at a certain point were very distracted so she had to kind of grow up to take care of herself by age seven she could wash herself without support Mm. and not a lot of children can can go to wash and do bathe themselves at that kind of age. So and also every time that my son is crying, she's very soothing, like, oh Alex, don't don't cry. Come here, Alex. That kind of thing, that kind of mothering mm. behavior. I think from for for children who have seen that their other siblings struggling it starts very very early for them so m- our approach and this is very that's that's how we want to uh, deal with it is be open and honest about wow. what's happening mm. open and honest is our policy just to let her understand and also give her because sometimes she she kind of interferes with our parenting, <laughs> and we keep on telling her, This is none of your business.
0: Um, yeah, right. just be a child. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. But that response, she already feels that responsibility. So, siblings do feel the responsibility. They do also have an experience. You know what I was telling you about when you're sitting in a the car? Yes. The driver, yes. Um. somebody sits at the person that she's the people at the back the people at the back are the the siblings, their perspectives are different. Even when um, there are more than one sibling, their perspectives will be different. Their experience of what is happening within the family units is different. And that has to be kind of addressed on a daily basis and supported Uh because your your children will outlive you. You will not be here when they are grown, grown adults they will have the responsibility to support your, the, your, your sibling who has autism, who has ADHD, who has any learning disability. They will have that responsibility to do that. Your attitude to this will affect how successful that support is. Mm. Your attitude now, your acceptance of the autism or ADHD or learning disability is going to affect how your, your your other children treat your child with autism. If you are accepting of the situation, it comes through your language, how you describe mm. that child who has autism, how you care for them, the way you you approach their the support you will want to give them. If you are in denial, they will be in denial. So yes, when I mean. you are not around, who supports that child? If you're going to depend on your other children to do that, then you need to mm-hmm. model that behavior for them. Mm-hmm. It's like any other thing in this world. We Our children only learn what we see. They don't learn any, anything they, we tell them. The behaviors we exhibit is what they learn from. So if you are treating that child, child with autism in a certain kind of way or you're making them feel like they are showing that they are other Mm. making them feel like "Mm, they are not fully human
2: Mm. or
1: here they are deviant or they are different your other children also feel the same way so if you are not around they will do the same thing that you did but if you are giving that child so much support positive and talking things. about it, positive and being open and honest and getting the knowledge, if you are doing the research, they will do it with you. My daughter recently, did the autism day. She wrote a long essay about everything positive. She said, what should I write for me? I said, well, your brother has two things. Some things are good, some things are not so good. You do, you do the maths. You write what you want to write. She wrote all the things that her, her brother can do. And in a small paragraph, wrote all the things that annoy her about her brother. <laughs> but
0: you gave her the voice to be able to do that. You didn't turn around yeah. and say, what do you mean he annoys you? So as much as you're reinforcing the positivity, you're letting her know yeah. that she does have an opinion. And actually, exactly. there are bad days, really. There will be bad days. Yeah. And I- like you said, it's modeling that to her as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just being honest that when um when Alex is being annoying, I was Alex is so annoying. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about it, Aurela. Isn't he annoying? Here, he's annoying me right now. Just reinforcing that her feelings are real. Validated. They are real. Mm-hmm. But then I'll go back. When I was growing up, my sisters used to annoy me. It's normal for her to feel, have that normality mm. and not say, oh, don't say that about your brother. Just because he has autism, he can't annoy other people. He can, and he does on a daily basis. So just to also give her that normal childhood, because this is no way, shape or form, a normal situation. So to keep it normal is also important because it kind of makes that other children or makes other, that other child feel like, hey, this is just my normal life. Siblings annoy me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that this sibling has Father, so they have autism doesn't mean they won't announce they're even annoying more but they don't maybe understand what they are doing, yes. they don't get it and that's the part where you kind of explain to the child for instance recently my son is fond of going to my daughter's room to mess up her dolls and she kind of pulls the dolls apart, I think that pulling thing he laughs it Right. My my daughter gets really angry. I'm like, yeah, I when my when I was growing up, my sisters used to take my shoes, and it's really annoying just to normalize it for the child to see it's normal. It's not because your your sibling has an yeah. autism, so yeah. they are not going to do things that will annoy you. It's normal. Don't we all have siblings that annoy us? Yeah, it's <laughs> normal. So get and just that attitude and that approach makes it not a big deal because right. how we manage these little nuances, this these little things make such an impact on the relationship between the child who has autism and the child who doesn't, mm-hmm. because you need that child who doesn't in the future. You need them, their head to be in the right place to support that adult because if the, they are not going to be children forever.
2: Mm. both
1: of them are going to be adults. Absolutely. Yeah, so you need that that child. If you have another child who does not have autism, you need them to be in a position where if you're not there, they step in those big shoes and they do right by that person because that person would be a vulnerable person and they need the people who actually love them to support mm-hmm. them to navigate mm-hmm. this world without that kind of nurturing you are setting yourself up to fail because mm. in the uk the system can absorb them and the system does whatever they want wow okay so that transitioning so, together is very important from childhood. it's important to everything you do incorporates that if you are also in the in the process of learning about the diagnosis, involve the other children so that we learn together because at the end of the day that person, that child with autism is our blood. It's part Mm. of us. It's our family. This is our family unit. Involve them, involve them. It's important because nobody knows tomorrow and you want that person to be the next advocate for your child.
2: Hmm. Because
1: just you have to kind of imagine a world where you don't exist anymore and who is there for that child? If not for the siblings, the system will take over. And And the system is only in it to save money. Hmm. So you need that your other children to be advocates for that child. And remember, it's not going to be a child for a long time. Children are very I, I only children for a very short time, they move to adulthood and it's very it's a different ballgame. Hmm. That's a very um
0: important point you make, that, that transitioning. And, and I like the fact that, you know, you, you're telling us that we need for them to transition together so that they don't get lost in the system. They yeah. have that voice, yeah. so, you know, the advocacy continues, they have that person in their corner and again, for their sibling to advocate for them, they need to have known them very well, or they need to know them very well. And that's part of that transi- transitioning and growing together you're talking about.
1: Yeah, because you know your siblings very well. You, you grew do. up with them. You know how, yes, <laughs> they may not be in the same country now, but you know their nuances. Um, you know them. You know the one that you pray with. You know the one that you always argue with. You know the one that you know that. If I send her wherever she will go, I'm here and I say, can can you get this from a craft for me? They will go to the ends of the world for. And don't want the ones that sending me for us. I'm not going. You know, you know your siblings. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the ones you can count on. So it's the same dynamic. It's the same dynamic. And that is why it's important to kind of look at autism not as an other thing or any deviant or an other thing that has happened in your family is is different. Normalizing it as much as possible, meaning that you do family in such a way that uh, autism is not taking over, Mm. but you do it as normal as possible so that people the, your other children have a normal childhood is important. It's not their fault that this has happened. It's not a, your fault. It's not the fault of your, even your child with autism. Something has happened. So, But then as a family, no matter how your family setup is, you need to kind of not make this like, a, as somebody would say, World Cup. It's not, don't make it everything. Make yeah. it such a big, big deal that you're not addressing basic normal family dynamics Mm. because those things are what build the relationship and what kind of will be what you need later to happen when you're not around. Hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. Talk to us about your master's
0: and your dissertation. So you're actually studying for a master's in social work and I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is out of the diagnosis that you decided to go mm-hmm. and study a master's and um yes. talk to us more about that and your dissertation
1: yes so my i decided to become a social worker and um, just because of my son um i did uh, my first degree is actually in architecture in ghana uh, I should have registered, but I followed my heart and married my dear husband. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't register after my degree in Ghana, and um, but I, when I came to the UK, I wanted to do a master's degree, and, and I did it. So this this is my actually my second master's. Oh. I did, uh, yeah, I did my master's degree in international planning and sustainable development and that was all was geared up to us going back to Ghana. I wanted to go back to Ghana to be a lecturer and blah, blah, blah. But I compared my son being in Ghana and being mm. here, which was more beneficial for him. So I decided to stay, we decided to stay and build our home here because of him. Um, my first master's degree, uh, as I said, international planning and sustainable development looks at the impacts of ch- climate change
2: hmm.
1: on, on our environment, on our built environment, right? especially in developing countries. Um, but um, what kind of got me thinking about social work was that I looked at my son and I looked at the impacts of ch- climate change and I saw how vulnerable he would be
2: in a disaster
1: situation mm. and mm. also working as a, as a domiciliary carer, care home carer, going into those jobs, seeing people with dementia, working in a, a dementia care home and seeing that kind of vulnerability. Right. Mm. There's a high level of vulnerability. Mm. There's a research I read recently that said that disasters increase people's vulnerability so on a daily basis you're already vulnerable yeah when a disaster happens you'll be super vulnerable so a person who is not vulnerable at all is vulnerable during a disaster but a person who cannot walk or who cannot see or who has autism or who has dementia when -hmm. there is a bushfire or there's a landslide or there is a, a serious flood that person is super vulnerable. There's an extra vulnerability that comes with any impairments during a disaster. Mm. So that kind of gingered me into, I need to do something that means something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I like need to, to do something you. with my life. Yeah, I need to do something with my life that takes some bugs That makes me part of something. And I found that in social work. So I went to social work and I knew it's the master's degree. So I will do a um a dissertation. So I was before going into social work, I had prepared my mind. I'm mean, going to write about <laughs> disasters and vulnerabilities for people with autism and learning disabilities because they are all oh, so so super vulnerable. I went into social work and I realized that's a given. People with yeah. autism and learning disability, people with dementia, people who are who are disabled, physical disabilities, it's obvious they are they are vulnerable. They're vulnerable. But people who abuse drugs, people who are drug and alcohol dependent are not obviously vulnerable.
2: So mm-hmm. it got me
1: thinking vulnerability The question about vulnerability is something that is is not just medical, but also a combination of systemic issues that makes a person more vulnerable than the other person. And who decides who is vulnerable? And I kind of kind of asked myself those critical questions. And when I worked in when I did my first placement, working with um, people who abuse drugs and alcohol. I saw a whole different form of vulnerability. And you know, I spoke to you earlier about intersectionality. Yes, yes, you did. So Mm. we have people who are not just abusing drugs and alcohol. They are also disabled. They also have dementia. They're also old. They also have autism. Lots of people Mm. were learning disabilities abuse drugs and alcohol.
0: Right. I met
1: so many of them. It was disturbing. It was very so this is another
0: facet, another layer, even more than what exactly.
1: you have speaking of
0: before. This is kind of like another level of it.
1: Yes, yes. I met, I remember meeting one person who made such an impact on my, on my kind of my evolution of how I think vulnerability looks like was a gentleman who has autism and severe learning disabilities. Who came into the recovery unit and very, very down and very, very high on something that he refused to tell us. Um, but he shared his story where he and his wife met in a group where the a group of people with learning disabilities and autism as adults. Oh, okay. And yes, his wife is a care leaver. so she was fostered all her life but she he was um was with mom and dad and after leaving school they didn't have nothing to do so joined a group met his wife and his parents were against them getting married but they both they got married they were adults they have capacity they were assessed to have capacity so they got married uh, but anyway, capacity is not judged on things like that. Yeah, that's a um, uh, that's a big topic. Yeah, on, isn't it? Yeah. So they got married, and they've had they've they had four children, and all four children were taken into care. All four children could not live with them because they didn't have the parental capacity to take care of the kids because hmm. of their learning disabilities. These are things we don't talk about. That our children will grow up and have children and they may be taken away from them they may be fostered they may be adopted yeah. because they did, may not have the ability to be parents mm. and it, it kind of stayed with me and because of that trauma of having four of his children taken away now has a newborn that has been taken to a mommy and 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 baby units mother and baby units, with his wife, he can't cope with the idea that this child too will be taken from him, so he's abusing substances. To cope. To cope. So it, it, it shocked me. It kind of, it made me feel like I'm sitting here only thinking about autism and vulnerability and how vulnerability looks like It's a whole different level of vulnerability. The mental health issues that come with abusing substances, why people do it, it's on a different level, but people who go through disasters go through a lot of mental health issues. Mm. So I need to kind of explore that. And that's what I'm doing for my dissertation, just exploring those kind of vulnerabilities and risk as well, because people who abuse substances pose a certain kind of risk to themselves and others. Yes. So Mm -hmm. kind of exploring that as well, though there are vulnerabilities, what are the risks and how do we manage it as professionals in the field? Those are the things I'm looking at in my dissertation.
2: Hmm.
0: Very, very interesting. And, you know, from just talking to you as well, you're right, we think about it on this level because we're going through this. And then when we sort of decide to do more work on that level, it starts to open up yeah. even more or beyond what we thought we knew beyond. or what we thought yeah. we had seen. And, and mm. I suppose that's what it is when you start to look more into things. Um. Okay. Um. So you run a support group or you co-founded a support group. Tell us about that.
1: So during COVID, um, obviously it was a shock to everybody that's locked down and you don't know what to do and people can't get to any kind of support so one of the parents approached me and said if uh, i want us to do a support group where we are just on whatsapp because everybody has a phone everybody can get mm-hmm. to their phone and um, and just for to support moms and see how it goes and let's keep it within our bar and see how it goes so it's called um just send connect so just j-a-d-z um, it's just the first names of our children um i can only mention my child's name so mm-hmm. my chance is the a mm-hmm. yeah and we just got together so there's four of us um my current boss is one of them it was through this i got to know her i didn't know her before oh. and She's been a social worker for twenty odd years, and uh, she also has a child. With her last one is has autism. I think he's about fifteen years old, and the, this this um, parent who approached me also has uh, an eighteen year old who also has autism. It's also her her last one, and the other lady is of Indian descent, and she has a girl. Right. With autism. So she brings along a different dynamic because girls and autism is a, it's a different topic. You oh. could speak to her at length because apparently there are some kind of disparities with the times girls are diagnosed. They are diagnosed much later because I think the matrix of, of, of diagnosis looks at symptoms that are seen in boys. So oh. if those symptoms are not seen in girls, girls are... It's not, it's not the same. Girls present differently, okay. so I think there's more research going into it. So a girl with autism might present differently from a boy with autism. Um, but it's all still a spectrum. So, um, I have not had that experience. I don't I don't know much about it. Hmm. So we just came together, four of us, and we just support moms. It's just on, all on WhatsApp, um, share ideas. There are professionals on the on the group as okay. well who do not have children with any kind of uh, educational needs. Right. And they, they support as much as possible. So, um, yeah, it's all on WhatsApp and it's, it's been great. And I think now it's about 90-something people. Mm, yeah. So is, 90, is, that 90, just, is that just for people within your borough? No. So we've had a few boroughs... People from other boroughs join. So people from uh, sometimes a bit far join, but it's the the initial thing was just for the borough. Um, but other people have joined and they've they've been such um amazing uh group of people, despite regardless of where they are coming mm-hmm. from, is mm-hmm. everybody's sharing. And although this was meant to kind of ask supporting them, yeah. I have so much information and sometimes somebody will ask a question I'm like ah, I've never thought about that and I'll go ahead and be like, oh or somebody will put a link there and will say oh I found this and and I'll be like oh I didn't know I didn't know this existed so it's 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 been just great it's it's been great yeah
0: so for listeners I mean um, maybe when I put this up if we have a when I I'll put your profile up and for listeners who would like to join that as well so I'll put that up for them as well and then if it's open hopefully you know for them to reach out and join that group as well so. Um, yeah,
1: no problem yeah yeah yeah.
0: Um, before we round up I'd like to round up on a high note and the last time we yeah. spoke you spoke about famous people with autism and how their journey started and I and you know it's not like I was hearing it for the first time but even hearing it from you and you telling me a bit more and I thought actually she's right you know we have famous people with uh mm-hmm. with, with this diagnosis so let's high, let's end on a high note let's talk about that tell me about that
1: yeah I had um obviously I I've it's all just on the news and the internet. It's like mm-hmm. Elon Musk has autism, Vegas syndrome. Um, I heard Bill Gates as well has it. One uh, another thing I heard was that Simon Bills has ADHD, and you know that as well. Yeah, and then this um, Will Smith has ADHD, and it is all these people. And, and when I my son's school has the picture of Elon Musk <laughs> mm. actually on one of their boards. And I saw it and I was like, oh, so it's true. He <laughs> does have autism. Not surprised just because of their social interaction. Yeah, so there, there are people around the world with, with autism. Someone said that Einstein had autism. He didn't speak until he was eight. Exactly. So yeah, it it, it makes you... Look forward to something and it's quite encouraging. But there's also the very real um um issue about some people will not be geniuses or whatever. But what you need to understand is your child is your child. I mean, with people who are regular who would not have autism, all of us are geniuses. Uh, so don't don't expect it. But if you if you do have a child like that, just celebrate. The little wins. Yeah, that's all I can say. Celebrate the little wins. And what do you mean by
0: celebrating the little wins? Because I do like the fact that, you know, we talk about what our children thrive at. So every, every child might not be a genius, but it's actually focusing on what they yeah. thrive at and bringing out the best in them. But then you yeah. say, celebrate your little wins. What do you mean, celebrate yeah. our little wins?
1: For example, um, my son has started to write. Ah. He's holding a... This- the pen like he's stabbing someone. So he's doing a fist with a pencil mm-hmm. or the pen. So he's yeah, some of the words are becoming legible now. You can see that he's trying to write gym. He's writing his favorite things. And so these are some of the little wins. Um my son, because he has an eating disorder, he was on period food until he was seven years old. So we to blend all his food. And uh until that he stopped having that, um he can now eat regular food. Right. And those are the little wings I'm talking about. Yeah. That's
2: what I mean.
0: Yeah. So I know we said we're ending, but just quickly, you know the eating disorder, was it out of the fact that he was a prime or was it part of he a developmental delay?
1: It was sensory so apart from the autism comes with sensory processing disorder so tactile, that's why he works on his tippy toes yeah he he, he has that sensory processing disorder okay yeah. so that sort of um
0: affected his chewing and him being able to process food like we would normally process food
1: yes yes yeah yeah hmm. yeah So this
0: has been very, very great. And for me as well, as always, I always learn something. uh, Is there any last, and I know we say celebrate wins, but what would you say for families out there who are struggling or who don't even know where to start from? What would you say to those families?
1: Remember your child's experience in every decision that you make, in your approach. Listen to your child's experience. How are they feeling like? What is What is... What is daily life like for them? What is what is it like for them? And put it in a different context. If your child had was blind, you give them a cane. So if your child has autism, give them something they need to navigate this world. Yeah, that's what I would say.
0: For our listeners out there, this is Talking About Life Experiences with Ola. Thank you so much for listening. And until I come your way again, I remain Ola Ademola Adesawa Yang.